Hello friends, Melissa here, and welcome to the third episode of With I Go podcast, where we explore the question of what in the hell is going on in all sorts of areas of life, or when you've come to the end of yourself and nothing makes sense. So it's been a while. (laughs) It's been almost three months, I think, since I released the second episode, and it's great to be back. I enjoyed uh, my summer. I did some traveling. I hope you enjoyed your summer too. In September, I started school, which I'm sure many of you can relate to, whether you're starting school yourself or you have kids who are starting school. Um, Yeah, I just started a two-year full-time program to become a psychotherapist, and I'm pretty pumped about it. The podcast, though never far from my mind and heart, was just sort of on the back burner. And to be honest, I knew what this episode was going to be about for a while now, and it's taken me some time to put this one into words. This is kind of a tough one. So this episode is called Riding the L, and before we get started, a heads up. I'm going to be talking about suicide on this one. So if that is something that is activating for you, uh, some people would use the word triggering or trigger warning. I don't like that language. I think it conjures up negative connotations, makes me think of weapons, <laughs> pulling a trigger, I feel kind of defensive when I hear that word. So I prefer the term activating, which to me also feels a lot more accurate. I think sometimes we get activated, like memories from our past start to stir or experiences and something maybe that was dormant uh, comes back to life in some way. So instead of trigger warning, I'm going to use the terms heads up and activating. So if suicide or thoughts of suicide are activating for you, you might want to have some strategies on hand for how you might deal with the discomfort that arises. Maybe you just want to pause the episode, walk away for a bit, take a few deep breaths, maybe have a cup of tea, uh, go for a walk, maybe listen to it with a friend. And if you've got kids around, you might want to turn this off and listen to it on your headphones or at a different time. So this episode is called Riding the L. L standing for the existential ledge. Pondering existence, the meaning of life, and asking some deep questions. In philosophy, this type of inquiry is called existentialism, which is one branch of philosophy that arose in the 19th and 20th century through thinkers like Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, Dostoevsky, John Paul Sartre. Some of those names might be familiar to you. There's oodles and oodles to explore within philosophy and within the realm of existential philosophy. But if I could simplify it a lot and just give you sort of the gist of it, um, existentialism explores human existence and questions like, what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose in life? Is there a God? That sort of thing. And existentialism in particular centers on our concrete experiences. So like thinking, feeling, acting, rather than just intellectual abstractions. In existentialism, there's a concept called the existential angst, or this sense of disorientation, dread, confusion, anxiety, in the face of 
apparently meaningless or an absurd world, which as beautiful and as amazing as this world is, there are definitely elements of it that are just absurd. Like the more we look into matter, we know that there's, it's like nothing. And so existentialist thinkers frequently explore issues like meaning and purpose and value of human existence. Actually, elevated, the L actually refers to elevated trains too. So in a lot of cities, there are trains or sections of trains that run on tracks above the city rather than below the city on subway tracks. And you can find them in lots of places like Chicago, Toronto, New York, Seoul, these elevated trains. And yeah, for some of us, maybe we have this elevated awareness of this angst and asking these questions about existence and about the meaning of life. So that's what I'm talking about when I use the term riding the L, the existential ledge. It's that sense that oftentimes, for some of us perhaps, we can feel like we're on this train speeding through life, or sometimes going at a snail's pace, as trains sometimes do, and that we're on the edge, you know, with life and meaning and vitality and purpose and joy on the one side, and what feels like absurdity and confusion and disorientation and meaninglessness on the other. So I call this riding the L. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to that, but um, maybe some of us can, and we have this elevated awareness of this, this angst, this questioning, this wrestling in our souls. So as I mentioned, I went traveling recently. Uh, for most of August, I spent some time traveling around Grenada, and it was awesome. <laughs> Grenada is a small island in the Caribbean, very close to Barbados, a little bit southwest of that, and just north of Trinidad and Tobago and Venezuela. Um, it's an amazing little country, and it's surrounded by beaches all along the coast, obvi, since it's an island, and it's really hilly towards the center of the island. Um, it's full of rainforests and lush vegetation. There's windy roads and really steep inclines. The people are really friendly and the culture is really laid back. There's good music, good vibes, really incredible turquoise water, palm trees, waterfalls, uh, incredible. It was so awesome to travel again. It had been quite some time since I had traveled. And it awakened something in me that I already knew, uh, but was reminded of, and that is that I feel really alive when I travel. It's one of the times in life when I feel most alive, actually. And so I posted lots of photos and, you know, just kind of kept track of my vacation and truly had so much fun. I was visiting a friend down there and probably wouldn't have known really about Grenada or gone to Grenada if she wasn't from there and if she wasn't there herself. But she is from Grenada and she was there with her family. So when Canada lifted restrictions for quarantine on the way back, I was like <laughs> furiously on the computer uh, buying tickets. So, And what is better than having a friend in a country able to show you around and yeah, it was the best. 
also, at times I felt really lonely. There's something about traveling that allows us to reflect on life, how life is going, slow down a bit, unplug, stare out over an open ocean, and just ponder life. So I did that quite a bit, especially during the second half of my trip. The first half was spent on the main island. Grenada is actually a series of three islands. And the main island was where my friend was, where her family lives. So in the first half of the trip, we uh, stayed on the main island and toured around some of the provinces and towns and jumped in some waterfalls and checked out some beaches. And it was great. The second half of my trip, I traveled alone. Uh, so from Grenada, I took a ferry, I think it was like a two hour ferry to a smaller island, still part of Grenada called Cariacu, uh, which is actually known as the Isle of Reefs. And I stayed in an Airbnb there right on the water. It was on the, I think, southern edge of this harbor where there were all sorts of sailboats just anchored there, sitting, bobbing around in the sun, incredibly beautiful. I toured around the island a bit. I went scuba diving one day, which was awesome. Took a local minibus to a beach called Paradise Beach, which is really aptly named. <laughs> it really is a piece of paradise. It was warm water, turquoise, sea grape trees all along the shore, smaller islands in the very near distance. Uh, I watched a dude kite surf for a long time. I spent the whole day on that beach in Paradise. Uh, feeling really grateful. I felt peaceful, calm. I was excited about traveling, felt really alive. And at the same time, I felt really lonely. I'd had all of these awesome experiences, scuba dived past these communities of fish and coral just below the surface, and I didn't have anyone to share it with. And so I sat on that beach thinking about that and the fact that I was on this small island looking out over the Caribbean Sea and I couldn't help but just ponder life. I thought about all the places I'd been, all the people I've met, all the things I've done, you know, from schooling to career to living in a few different countries. And I was just like, what is my life for? <laughs> like, why am I here? I've done all these things. I've been all these places. But like, what is the purpose of all of this? Because as good as all of this has been, it's also been heartbreaking and lonely. And I can't help but wonder what it's all for. So this, this tension that I feel, you know, having an awesome trip and also at times feeling really lonely this tension between, you know, life feeling really alive and then this feeling of like, what does it all mean? What is it for? The wonder and the angst. When I was in college, a friend of mine died. He took his own life. His roommate found him. He'd hung himself. 
that is still really hard to say, even this many years later. And obviously, still brings up a lot of emotion. It was 20 years ago. October 1st. Just about a month into my very first year of college. And it hit me really hard. It hit my whole friend group really hard. Uh, my sister was dating his brother. I'd hung out with his other brother the night before in the smoke pit. <laughs> I was a smoker. Um, before saying goodnight and heading to bed. And then in the morning, I was woken up really early by a phone call telling me that he had died. And I still remember the whole thing really clearly. I remember that day. I remember the days and weeks that followed. It was completely heartbreaking. And here's the thing. I didn't know him that well. I probably knew his brothers. I did know his brothers better than I knew him. But it rocked me. And I couldn't figure out why exactly. I struggled with that a lot and I wrestled with feeling guilty because it felt like this is not my loss. It's not my close friend. It's not my brother. And yet I had all of this sadness and confusion and it was the first time actually that I put myself in counseling. <laughs> I was like, I need help with this one because I can't figure this out, but I am struggling. Much later, I realized that one of the reasons it hit me so hard was because taking my own life was something I had thought about often. Growing up, it was my mom and my sister and I, and my mom was depressed. Um, she didn't work, she didn't have a job, uh, she didn't go out that much, and from a young age I remember looking around at life, my life, our life, and thinking like, what? Like, is this it? Is this life? Depression does many things to a person. But one thing it does is take away your ability to dream for the future. Can't quite picture it. I don't ever remember my mom making plans, uh, being excited about things, talking about what she wanted to do in the future, where she wanted to go. And that's not to say we didn't do things or go places. We did. And there was laughter in our home. But there was always this sense that we were just existing. I felt like we were just existing, just biding our time, living not even paycheck to paycheck, just social assistance check to social assistance check. And we didn't have extra money to do things that would be really fun. And it felt like we were just biding our time until what? I don't know. But I just remember by the time I was a teenager just being like very disillusioned with life. Looking around going like, huh. 
like life is going to be really long if this is what it is and I was like why did we as humans set up our world this way it was like okay you go to school you get good grades so you can go to school again get more good grades so you can get a job maybe get a better job make money and then retire and die <laughs> which yeah I'm sure you're like there's a lot more to life which is true I just didn't really see it I didn't really see a whole lot of the joy I didn't really feel a whole lot of the joy um we our life was not particularly full of like relationships and flourishing there it was kind of tumultuous in my home and my dad wasn't around he left before I was born there was like a big aching hole that that left behind and yeah it just was kind of tough and so I used to dream about ways to get out of this I was like I don't this is not fun and I didn't really choose this and I felt really uncomfortable in my own skin I didn't feel pretty I didn't have boyfriends <laughs> like it was just not that awesome didn't play sports so I remember yeah just the comfort that came from picturing a backdoor option I wasn't sure I was ever actually gonna take my life but it was a comforting thought to be honest with you it was like a backdoor trapdoor option to life if things got too sad or unhappy I could just like open the hatch and fall through the floor and float away into space and I thought about different ways to make that happen and so when my friend died in university it was the first time that I had seen what taking one's life actually looked like up close I saw what it did to his brothers to his family I remember spending time at his parents' house in the days leading up to the funeral and his mom's eyes were so sad and vacant. She just wasn't there in quite the same way that she had been before and it was just painful. Yeah, there's so much more we could talk about here but for all the ways that his death was so heartbreaking and forever changed the lives of those around him in one way it was a really incredible gift and that was because when this all happened it was after his death that I vowed that I would never take my life I just became really resolved about that and at the time, I didn't really know what that all meant or how that decision would affect me in the long run, but I was just sure of that. And so after that time, I was like, well, if I'm not going to get busy dying, I'm going to have to get busy living. And so it didn't stop my thoughts about taking my life um, entirely. I still, you know, at times thought about that back door, that trap door, that eject button, but it occurred less frequently and I stopped putting any effort into the actual planning of it. 
yeah, I put myself in counseling. Um, I started taking some antidepressants. I worked really hard at school and my part-time job. School was always a place that I did well. And I really loved learning and I was studying philosophy at the time. And yeah, I looked at my life and where I'd come from and decided I wanted something different. So I got busy doing that. Neither of my parents have a university degree. I was determined to get one. I loved learning. School felt like my avenue out of the life that I had into the life that I wanted. And I thought, you know, I don't even just want a job, although that was, you know, I'd had jobs in high school and even before high school, actually. I'd been working, I think, since I was like 10 or 12. Uh, but I thought, you know, I want a career. I want something that I can sort of throw myself into, uh, something that I can become good at, something that will give my life some meaning. I got a degree. I studied overseas during that degree, which opened up my world incredibly. After I graduated, I did some teaching overseas in South Korea and then later moved back to Canada, got another degree and started working in the not-for-profit sector. And that felt meaningful as well because I just knew that I wasn't someone who was really motivated by just money. Didn't think maximizing shareholder profits would be something that I could really get behind. And so doing a degree in social work and working in the not-for-profit sector felt like something I understood as my life. I never saw the work I did as like, there's us and there's them. It was like, it's all of us. Like, these are my people. This is me, <laughs> you know? Um, I progressed in my career. I bought a house and did all the things that I knew how to do to build a good life and to find some purpose and some meaning. And I had, and still have, really great friends. I made friends wherever I went. That was something that wasn't super hard for me. So I would make friends in the new city that I moved to or the new country that I lived in. And yet all along the way, I just couldn't shake this wondering, you know, like, what is this for? You know, <laughs> like, what is the purpose of all of this? And I think I mentioned in the first episode of the podcast about the time it takes to put something into words. That's definitely been true for this episode. This one's been mulling around in my soul for a while. Uh, and it was hard to piece it all together. But I'm trying to articulate what matters most and to put some of the hard stuff into words. And I hope that by doing so, we can all feel a little less alone in our experiences. So certainly talking about death, suicide, thoughts of death, suicidal ideation, as we call it in clinical realms, is really hard to talk about. And so is faith. For me, talking about my faith and why I believe in God in ways that feel meaningful and accurate, like not 
just trite or overly optimistic is really hard. It's hard to find helpful language to talk about it and not use like shitty cliches <laughs> or turns of phrase that you often hear, you know, like Christianese, you know, you just kind of like roll your eyes <laughs> and tune out and wonder like, what are they even saying? Do they even know what they're saying? What do those words mean? <laughs> and I shouldn't be so harsh about it. Lots of wonderful people use Christianese. <laughs> And I do too. And it's what it's the language we have, and so we use it. Um, and it's not like I have an alternative, but <laughs> I'll try to talk about it in real ways. And so as far as riding the existential ledge goes, feeling like I'm sort of, I guess in really basic terms riding this edge between like life and death my faith became like a life and death thing so shortly after graduating from university that first time around like four years after my friend died I became a Christian and I have described it often as being blindsided by faith I don't feel like I was really looking for it. I had decided to call myself a non-Christian, thought it was just kind of bullshit. But when it happened, it shifted my world and I couldn't put it into words. And I like really didn't know what it all meant. And yeah, was just like, I don't really know what happened last night, <laughs> but something's different. It was kind of like, how do I feel now? Uh, and I did not know what or who God was, uh, how to think about her, him, them. But one thing that happened was I started talking into space <laughs> as if something were there listening or someone. And they were not like, cutesy Christianese conversations like the ones you might imagine or see in the movies where it's like you fold your hands and you kneel down next to the side of your bed and you're like dear lord thank you for this day and thank you for this food and all the many blessings you know please like be with auntie carol and the kids um no for me my prayers were like what the fuck like okay I don't know who you are or what you are or even if you exist. And yes, I realize that I'm now speaking out loud <laughs> to something or maybe nothing. And I'm just talking to myself. Uh, but here's the thing. I decided that I'm going to live. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to live. But fuck, like it has to be better than this. Like, seriously, I can't, and I can't seem to make life worth living. And that's not to say there weren't things that I really enjoyed about my life. Like, I have had really awesome experiences. In some ways, life has been, like, so much better than I thought. Like, I was a poor kid, so I never thought I would travel, and I did a bunch of that. As I said, I have a handful of great friends who are like family to me 
but yeah, I, you know, I did well in school and I tried to be a good person as we all do. And I built a career and I bought a house and I volunteered and I traveled and I worked to take care of the poor and the marginalized, you know, people like me. And here I am in Grenada sitting on Paradise Beach alone looking out over the Caribbean Sea like one of the most picturesque places on the planet and I'm kind of lonely and I think some of that deep loneliness came from just the hole that exists where you know I wish my family was yeah my dad left my sister and I haven't spoken to each other in like 13 years. I have a really difficult relationship with my mom. And I can't manufacture a person that I'd like to spend my life with. So with all of this stuff and things that I've done, it's like, what does it even matter? If there aren't people to share it with, like, what the fuck? So that's kind of what my conversations with God are like. It's like, this cannot be it. This cannot be it. There has to be something better than this. But yeah, we have a lot of those conversations. And I don't know if any of it is true or if God exists. But what are my alternatives? You know, I tried making the life that I thought would be meaningful and feel fulfilling and that's still lacking in some way and I can't seem to like top it up or like <laughs> fill the whole cup or whatever. And I can't on my own change the relationships that I have with my family. And yeah, I have yet to find a life partner. You know, relationships by their very nature are between two people and they are essential for life. Like, people need people. We don't survive on deserted islands or solitary confinement. You know, we're not made for that. We're not made to be alone. And there's a shit ton of research that would confirm this. There's a Harvard study, actually, that was done. It's the longest longitudinal study of adults ever done. I think it's been going on for like 80 years about what makes a good life. And in this study... And in other, in other studies like it, people consistently identify relationships as the single most important factor in living a healthy, happy life. Close relationships, more than money, more than fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Uh, and I've heard it said before that, you know, on their deathbed, nobody ever says like, boy, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. <laughs> or like, gee, I just wish I'd gotten that extra project or something, you know? It's like, oh, if only I could have had that house with just a little more square footage. If there are any regrets, it's about wishing they had spent more time with this person or that person, wishing they could spend just one more day with their loved ones. Loneliness is also something that's really hard to talk about. And loneliness kills. It's like worse for you than smoking. <laughs> And it's also the one thing that God said wasn't good. She called everything good, but not this. And so that too, like when I talk to God, it's like, 
seriously. Like, what the fuck? We might call this loneliness depression and these feelings depression. In clinical terms, that's what we call it, this existential angst, this heaviness, this weightiness about how the world is set up and all this shit happening, like trafficking children for sex, for example, or the plastic that is all over our oceans and killing our coral reefs and our fish. Wars, refugees, millions of them, climate change. Have you seen uh, Chasing Ice, that documentary? That one also rocked me a little bit. There's all kinds of ways in which things feel heavy because things are heavy. And so I don't know if you're like me, but like that gets me down. And so also do some of the circumstances in my own life. It gets me down. And I think for a diagnosis of depression, it's like sadness that lasts longer than two weeks. Yeah, sadness will last longer than two weeks, you know? I don't know, at some point maybe I'll do a whole episode on depression and names of things and stuff. But for me, it's like, it's, called, it's considered a mood disorder. And that just doesn't feel accurate or helpful. I mean, to feel that way, looking at what's happening in the world and then in our own lives, doesn't feel, you know, sadness, the sorrow, the grief, I think we can call it all of those things, doesn't feel disordered at all. It feels very rightly ordered to see what's happening, to experience some of the things we've all experienced, some loss of relationships would result in a low mood, (laughs) you know, or sadness. And it seems like almost the only logical outcome is to feel, yeah, the weightiness, the depression. And it doesn't feel disordered. I think a lot of us are just questioning existence, wondering what it's all for. If life is like this, is this it? You know? Um, And just riding that existential ledge, feeling very deeply the tension between life and fullness and color and vitality and disillusionment and confusion It feels like there is so much more to talk about, but I think I will leave it here for now. Uh, Perhaps I'll do some more episodes on this in the future, but for anyone who has ever wondered what all of this is for, asking questions like, why am I here? Does my life have any purpose? For anyone who has ever found yourself teetering on the edge of something, contemplating taking your own life, wondering if God exists, for anyone caught up in circumstances that you cannot single-handedly change, wishing life were different or better, and unable to make it so. For anyone wrestling 
depression, wondering how their mood can be called disordered when it seems the only rightly ordered thing to come out of some very wrongly ordered circumstances. I go with you. You go with me. We go together. We go with God. <laughs>